Welcome to this week's energy show. All right, here's a trivia question for you. What's our most commonly used energy source? Yeah, is it solar? No, solar is a tiny fraction. It's the most popular, but it's a, it's a small part. Wind? Well, wind is the cheapest, but it's not the most commonly used energy source. What about nuclear? Well, nuclear was going to be the future, but it's turned out to be too expensive and kind of dirty, messy. A lot, big problem to clean up, and, and we're worried about emergencies. Now, coal. Coal used to be our most popular fuel, but it's being pushed out by natural gas. Now, when you look at by BTUs, the U.S most popular, most commonly used energy source is oil. Oil is still number one. So let's take a look at the U.S. energy consumption by energy source in 2016. And this is all measured in British thermal units, BTUs. <laughs> they actually measure it in quadrillions. That's a big number. I think it's not, not quite as big as a Google, but it's pretty big. All right. So in 2016, last year, oil provided 37% of the energy in the United States. Natural gas provided 29%. Coal provided 15%, nuclear power was 9%, and all renewables together was about 10%. All those renewables include hydroelectric, wood, biofuels, biomass, wind, solar, and geothermal. So it's kind of interesting that oil is still number one. But when you look at what's being produced most, in other words, the BTUs, the energy value of the fuel that's most produced in the U.S., it's actually natural gas. Natural gas in the U.S. last year, we produced 27 quadrillion BTUs. So 20, it's not on a percentage basis, it's 27 quadrillion BTUs. Oil was only 19 quadrillion. Then we've got coal, nuclear biomass and other fuels and then uh, renewables. So what's interesting is that we're pumping out of the ground or actually just collecting more natural gas than any other fuel. Now, what's happening with these fuels? Where are they going in our economy? How are they being used? Well, this is kind of interesting because the different fuels are being used for different purposes. So out of the entire percentage of sources, most of the energy in the U.S., 29%, is being used for transportation. That's for cars and trucks. Um, you know, maybe a limited amount of, of, of trains and things like that, and buses. Most of the energy is being used by cars and trucks. So directly with petroleum, some natural gas. I mean, there are some vehicles that are powered by natural gas and, and you know, not, not a lot by coal, renewable energy, or nuclear, unless you start to count the electricity that's, that's being generated from nuclear, coal, gas, and renewables that's actually used to transport a car. So for me, for example, I'm driving an electric vehicle. My, my vehicle is actually being powered by solar, but many people who have electric vehicles just plug into the grid. And what's interesting is if you just plug into the grid, you're, you're actually probably using natural gas as a fuel source. So even though you're driving an electric car, you're burning hydrocarbons to power that car. All right, kind of then going down, the next biggest category is industrial. Then residential and commercial. So, you know, we're talking about industrial. These are factories. These are, these are places that are manufacturing products. Residential and commercial, it's mostly HVAC, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning, and lighting, and just other loads. And then, you know, kind of the last category is just general electric power. All right. So, what, you know, based on that, we're using a lot of oil for transportation. But why is it that we're using more oil, but natural gas is the, the biggest fuel that's being produced in the U.S.? Well, the reason is we still import a lot of oil, and we're actually exporting a little bit of natural gas. But what's happening is there's a long-term shift towards electric for both HVAC 
and transportation. You know, we're talking about HVAC, we're talking about heat pumps, so that on those cold nights, cold days, you can actually be heating your home with an electric heat pump. That works great unless you're in a place where it's really, really cold. In that case, those heat pumps don't work too well. And obviously, transportation, we're talking about electric vehicles. Now, I said this is a long-term shift. This is a 20 to 30-year shift. This is not happening immediately. It's going to take a long time. But as new homes are being built, especially in temperate areas, these homes are being built with heat pumps, electric heat pumps, instead of natural gas. And sometimes they have natural gas as as an additional fuel, but it's mostly heat pumps. And that's actually quite a bit more efficient because you can then heat your house efficiently with electricity. Now, why don't you just heat your house with electric heaters? The answer is, it's really expensive. So the least efficient way in terms of a cost to heat a building is with electric heat. But if you're actually using a heat pump to generate that heat, it actually works out pretty well. So it's a long-term transition because the new buildings have to be constructed using these heat pumps. Same kind of thing when it comes to transportation. We're talking about a long-term transition as old vehicles kind of come off the roads that use gas and diesel and are replaced with electric. And, and we're not even close to the point at which the majority of vehicles that are being put onto the roads are electric, although the automakers and the, and the truck makers are all saying that they're going to be moving more towards electric vehicles. Now, in the meantime, we have hybrids, which, which actually works out pretty well. Okay. So we're talking mostly about natural gas today because that's that, I believe, is going to be the most common fuel in the U.S. over the next 20 years. And I like what Ernie Moniz, who's the former Department of Energy secretary, said about natural gas. I mean, he was getting a lot of pressure from two different directions. Some of the pressure was coming from the fossil fuel industry really pushing really, really hard for net fossil fuels like natural gas and oil. And then he's getting a lot of pressure from the renewables peoples like me. I'm saying, hey, let's just completely get off of any fuels that create carbon dioxide and let's just push all the renewables. And, you know, you look at the numbers and it's just very, very clear that we just can't make that transition immediately. You just can't snap your fingers and say, hey, we're just going to use renewables. We need natural gas. And, you know, we kind of move sort of slowly here. It's a democratic process. The economy is really important here in the U.S. You kind of look at what other countries like China, China can really dictate the fuels they're using. You know, even in China, they're making a huge push towards renewables and solar and wind, but they're still burning a lot of coal and natural gas. Okay, so it's kind of looking at at the trend line of natural gas. Natural gas is continuing to grow as a percentage of our, our fuel source. I mean, it's just we're extracting more natural gas from the ground. Now, you can tell I'm a, I'm a big fan for now of natural gas because we need to keep our economy running. But it's really clear to everyone that natural gas still creates CO2 and CO2 is the dominant cause of global warming. So if we don't completely get off of fossil fuels like natural gas, we're not going to reduce the the CO2 in the atmosphere, which means we're going to continue to see warming of our climate. Now, the other reason why natural gas is good is it's the least expensive fossil fuel when you're talking about something that's going to burn relatively clean. And natural gas does burn cleanly compared to oil and coal. And we'll talk about that in a minute as far as how it burns, but basically it's just really clean. The other thing is natural gas is almost ubiquitous. It's available everywhere. Now, 20 or 30 years ago, a lot of homes still were being heated by oil because it was easy to kind of truck oil to a home or a business, put it in a tank, burn it in an oil burner. 
But that transition towards gas burners really you know, started happening in the 70s as, as the oil crisis hit. And now, you know, most new buildings, new homes, new, new commercial buildings, new industrial facilities are being built with a natural gas supply. And we'll talk about how that gets there in a minute. So let's talk about the specific composition. I mean, what the heck is natural gas? Does it come from cows? I mean, who knows? So, all right. And actually, to a certain degree, natural gas is mostly methane. And that's in terms of the chemical composition. It's really, really simple. Even I can remember it. It's one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms. Now, the natural gas that we burn might have some other gases in small concentrations, but it's mostly methane. And since it's mostly methane, it burns really cleanly. You just end up with carbon dioxide and water. I mean, just the, the reaction, This you kind of learn this in high school chemistry. You have one methane molecule, which is CH4, and one oxygen molecule, which is O2. And so when that burns... The oxygen combusts with the uh, hydrocarbon, the methane, and you end up with one CO2 molecule and two water molecules. So basically, coming out of the combustion chamber, if your car was running on natural gas, basically all that would be coming out of the pipe would be carbon dioxide and water gas, water vapor. You know, no oxygen, nothing else. It's, it's, it burns pretty cleanly. All right. So where, where's the natural gas coming from? I mean, how is it produced? Well, you know, you're kind of, kind of going back 100 years. When you drill for oil, you hit a gas pocket. And, you know, the, the, some of the gas pockets actually providing the pressure to push the oil out. So the natural gas would just kind of come out and bubble out of the oil fields and was burned off. It was flared off. And you can still see this, a lot of oil fields that they have this big pipe going up in the air. And it's just like a big giant candle. It's a match. And you're just flaring off that natural gas instead of the methane going into the atmosphere they're just burning it which you know instead of methane you end up with carbon dioxide and water it's not terrible but you do get greenhouse gas from that so you can still see these natural gas flares in oil fields but then drillers started figuring out how to capture that natural gas clean it of impurities pressurize it and send it through pipelines so hey instead of this waste product let's sell this waste product turned out to be a really really big business and now it's the one of our biggest fuel sources okay now with fuels we always have trade-offs i mean there's cheap fuels there's dirty fuels there's there's fuels that are in short supply things like that natural gas is is the best fossil fuel in my mind i mean it's not the best fuel but it's the best fossil fuel the downside is when we're burning natural gas we're still providing lot we're still creating a lot of co2 and that's the worst greenhouse gas now the reason why natural gas is better is when we burn coal there's actually much more co2 produced and there's a lot of other impurities in coal i mean you kind of dig this thing out of the ground and in addition to the carbon that's bound up in in that rock that coal rock You've got other impurities like sulfur, you've got mercury, arsenic, and then you also get incomplete combustion of the coal so that you get some of these acid byproducts. You get sulfur dioxide, uh, nitrous dioxide, and that's also bad. I mean, it kind of you know burns things, it melts things. And 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when we were burning a lot of coal in the Midwest, the, the prevailing winds would be going east towards the, the forests in New York and the East Coast. And this acid rain, I mean, the 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 acid was in the, the atmosphere, the rain would kind of absorb some of that acid and it would, you know, actually be denuding entire forests. And we had some interesting efforts by uh, some Republican administrations to kind of come up with some kind of cap and trade mechanism to reduce the acid rain. And it actually worked really, really well. So we no longer have a problem with acid rain. Now we got a big greenhouse gas problem. Now, the other thing about natural gas is we're producing a lot of this. The reason why the supplies of natural gas have really increased is we came up with a new technology called fracking. It works really well. It's a drilling straight down, and then you kind of go horizontally, and you, you have some explosives going up there, really crack the rock. 
and that, that allows a lot more of the gas that's in the, the crevices of the rock to kind of seep out into the pipes that, that allow it to get to the surface. But the fracking's not always clean. There's, there's other chemicals that are injected into the ground, way, way down below the ground, and it's possible that some of these chemicals, which we don't exactly know what they are, would get into our water supply. And there have been cases where that, that's happened, and, and obviously people get really concerned. I mean, circumstances where people turn on their tap, and it, you know, the water just smells bad, and there might be fracking in the area where that water is extracted from the ground. But you know what? Coal mining is a heck of a lot worse. We're, we're ripping the entire tops of mountainsides off. We've got all these dirty coal ash kind of cluttering up areas, and it's just terrible. So natural gas is kind of, in my view, the lesser of the three fossil fuel evils. Coal is worse, oil's worse, natural gas is the least worse. And you know what? We really need natural gas. Now, we usually think about natural gas as a heating fuel or fuel for a power plant. But, you know, when you look at the uses of natural gas, a very large percentage of the natural gas that's being used in, in the U.S. is actually used for industrial processes. So, you know, kind of bizarrely, you think about how is this natural gas going to end up in fertilizer? Well, natural gas is used to create ammonia for fertilizers. So, the ammonia is created and that ammonia is bound with other chemicals and that's what we kind of sprinkle sprinkle on the ground uh, for our plants. Now, we're also, this is also another irony. The hydrogen that we use for industrial processes or the hydrogen that we would use possibly for fuel cells or cars that would actually burn hydrogen, and burning hydrogen is really clean, all of that hydrogen comes from natural gas. There's a process, it's the steam process, where you kind of uh, combine natural gas with steam, heat it up a lot, and you get hydrogen as a byproduct. So the, the hydrogen vehicles, the fuel cell vehicles, are actually being powered by natural gas. Now, that, that's the way we create hydrogen. Unfortunately, we don't kind of create hydrogen in a clean way because we're, we still have carbon dioxide coming off, but that's how it's manufactured. And here's another one, plastics. You, know, the, you look around, you're, we're surrounded by plastics. Most of those plastics, the feedstock for those plastics, comes from a process that uses natural gas as the primary ingredient. And crude oil was originally used to make, make plastics, but the, the plastics manufacturers have come up with a way where they can actually make the plastics less expensively using natural gas, cheap natural gas. So companies like Dow and DuPont and a lot of the others that are making plastics, and enormous businesses making plastics out of natural gas because natural gas price came down. So kind of just looking at some numbers, 85% of our plastics are made from natural gas, 15% from oil. All right. Now, so natural gas, but the limitation, obviously, it's still a greenhouse gas when it's combusted. But what's the other big limitation? The other big limitation is that it has low energy density. And it's a gas. Gasoline packs a lot more BTUs per volume. So if you have one gallon of gas, it's equivalent to, oh, you know, probably 100 square feet of uncompressed natural gas. So what we need to do to make natural gas suitable as a fuel source is compress it to a very high pressure and put it in a tank. So, I mean, just it's kind of like the tank that you use for your barbecue. It's, that's not methane. It's usually propane, but it's kind of similar. You've got a high-pressure tank. The tanks and vehicles are, are, have stronger walls. They operate at a higher pressure. And there's filling stations that you can fill up trucks or even cars with natural gas. And there's a very, very high compressed gas in those tanks. And that sends slightly less compressed gas into the tank that's in the trunk of your car. And I've traveled all around the world. And I've been to places where, you know, interesting, I was in Thailand. And, and almost all the trucks were being powered by natural gas. They had these four or eight big vertical natural gas tanks 
behind the cab of the truck. And, you know, behind that cab was in the, the trailer. But they were powering those trucks with natural gas. Or there's a lot of taxis that have natural gas in the trunk of the taxi. I mean, obviously, it kind of cuts back on the amount of luggage you can put in there. But natural gas is a really good fuel source for cars um, or, or trucks because you really don't need a carburetor. Um, it's just directly injected into the engine. Okay. Now, another limitation of natural gas, you have to transport it in pipelines. That's kind of like gasoline. Not that big a difference. We've got um, gasoline pipelines, oil pipelines. We've got natural gas pipelines. The gas is compressed and then pushed through pipelines throughout the country. You look at a map. There's just a spaghetti bowl of, of natural gas pipelines, big ones and little ones, covering our entire country. Big pipelines coming from the, the sources, and there's this place called the Henry Hub, and then it goes to local areas, and then your local utility, most of them are gas and electric utilities, then have smaller pipelines where they pipe that natural gas under pressure to the building, to your home, to your business, and they meter it to see how much you're using, and that's how it gets into your your, your home or your business. That's how it gets into your, your stove or your furnace, um, through those small pipes. And But you know, the thing is that we need to store natural gas, because when do we use most of the natural gas? We use most of the natural gas in the winter, when it's cold. So um, the natural gas is kind of uh, pumped out of the ground roughly evenly throughout the year. But what happens is in the summer, when we don't have a high demand for natural gas, a lot of that gas is pumped into these huge underground reservoirs. They're basically just caves that are really well sealed where we're just filling it up with natural gas. That's filled up in the in the summer. And then in the winter, when we need a lot of that natural gas, the natural gas is kind of released from those underground storage tanks. And that's kind of how we balance it out a little bit. That's the that's the capacitor for those uh, the the natural gas demand that kind of fluctuates throughout the year. All right. So another interesting thing about natural gas, we can compress the natural gas really, really highly. When you compress it a lot, it can cool down at room temperature. It can cool down if it's at, at atmospheric pressure, and that natural gas is then called liquefied natural gas. So if it's really, really cold, you can actually have liquid natural gas at at atmospheric pressure, or you have to pressurize it really, really high, and, and it's still going to stay a gas. So these big tankers are being built to transport liquefied natural gas around the world. So we can pump natural gas out of the ground in the U.S., run it into um, a, a cooling system that, that compresses it and then lets it cool down, and then we can put in these huge tankers that can then you know, ship it anywhere in the world. And that's turning out to be a pretty big business. So you know, I'm pretty enthusiastic about it, and especially because the pricing of natural gas still is remaining pretty low. There's a place called the Henry Hub in Louisiana. That's where we kind of measure everything. And the current price of natural gas at the Henry Hub is about $3 a million BTU. We kind of measure natural gas in million BTUs. Or if you look at your electric bill, a lot of times the utilities charge you by a therm, which is... 100,000 BTUs, a tenth of a million BTU. And I was kind of just looking at, you know, gee, how much does natural gas cost? Well, you look at look at your utility bill. My my, my most recent bill, I was char- getting charged $1.2, $1.20 for a therm or 12 million BTUs. And if it costs $3 a million BTU at the Henry Hub, it means that utilities marking it up by about a factor of four. They buy it at three, they sell it to me at 12. And that's kind of, you know, I, I much prefer it to be less, but that's going to cover their distribution and overhead. And you know what? They're doing the same thing with electricity. They might pay four or five cents a kilowatt hour to generate electricity. Heck, by the time I look at my bill and I look at it, <laughs> they mark it up by about a factor of six. So natural gas, I think, is a great fuel, but it's a fossil fuel. So it's not good for the environment. 
not as bad as coal, not as bad as oil, but it's inexpensive. And, and that's good because that's good for our economy. And, and kind of looking at what the future of natural gas is, we need it to keep the economy growing. It's going to be with us for a long time. We just can't stick our heads in the sand and say no more fossil fuels. We're going to have to burn a lot of, a lot of natural gas, which is the best out of the other two evils, because we, we are not seeing fast enough growth in solar and wind. We have an economy that's based on cars and trucks and industries that are burning natural gas and coal and oil. And the, the sooner we get off of those fuels, the better, but it's not going to happen at the snap of a finger. But inevitably, without a doubt, we'll have, we will replace all of these fuels as wind and solar gets cheaper and as battery storage becomes more popular. All right. That's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. And if you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts.